0: Welcome to join the food libraries and food insecurity the team. Vittles podcast. Today we talk with Dr. Noah Lenstra about the history of libraries in health and wellness, and a number of initiatives that have been taken that have taken off during the COVID pandemic. And we talk about different ways you can get involved in the food fight and more. This podcast was recorded on November 1st, 2021. Thank you. And welcome to our latest episode of Join the Food Fight, uh, Libraries and Food Insecurity. Today we're here with our team. Why don't we let everyone go around and introduce themselves before we get to our guest. Uh, We can start with Sarah. Sarah. Sure.
1: I'm Sarah Schaff. I'm the Discovery Librarian at Denison and part of Team Vittles. Allie? Hi, I'm Allie Dalboa. I am the Youth Programming Coordinator here at Midpoint
0: Library System in Southwest Ohio. And Janet?
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Janet Ingraham-Dwyer. I am the Youth Services Consultant at the State Library of Ohio.
0: All right. And now our special guest for today, Dr. Noah Lenstra. if you'd like to uh, give a brief introduction.
3: Yeah, my name is Noah Lenstra, and I'm an assistant professor of library and information science uh, here at the University of North Carolina uh, at Greensboro. And in 2016, I founded something called Let's Move in Libraries.
0: All right. Dr. Lenstra has been very instrumental in getting the name of Team Vittles out. He has been I don't. I don't know how he's got fingertips left as much as he uh, writes in the field and the social media posts he puts out is incredibly active in making sure that uh, libraries are involved in health, nutrition, and other kinds of uh, programming designed to promote well-being. Dr. Lenstra, how did you first become interested in how public libraries support health and wellness?
3: Yeah, thanks, Shane, and thanks for having me. And I would say, like most things uh, in life, there's a, a long story and a short story. <laughs> and so I'll give you just a, just a taste of the long story. Um, but but uh, to start with the short story, so uh, I've always been interested in libraries, um, uh, was a uh, kind of volunteer at my public library when I was an undergraduate student. Um, but I've also been really interested in communities, um, and I think librarians uh, more and more uh, see themselves as community institutions. Uh, but what that actually means uh, is an evolving topic as communities change and evolve, um, and so as community needs change and evolve, uh, if we're if we're putting communities first, uh, health and wellness is inevitably going to be part of the conversation. But for complicated historical reasons, that's not always the case. Um, And so just to kind of give a taste of the long story, um, uh, when I was doing my doctoral dissertation at, at the University of Illinois in Library and Information Science, I was looking in part at some of the similarities and differences between senior centers and public libraries, as well as how those two ubiquitous institutions collaborate and don't collaborate. Um, and one of the things that I was really struck by was uh, the relative absence of any any discourse uh, beyond the local level about collaboration and interinstitutional collaboration. Um, and I think uh, the more that I've learned, the more that I see that is just a glaring gap. We We tend to think more about what we as as librarians can do rather than how can we uh get the conversation started about how we can do more uh through collaborating with others so i could i could say more about that uh, but just to give a quick uh historical note one of the things that i've found is that there's a huge history of kind of librarians uh collaborating to do just that uh, i mean one of the ones that i really love um Library Journal back in the late 1940s has a great article about uh, uh, the precursor to the local health department system back in the day when they had county nurses. Um, in Appalachian, Georgia, the Bookmobile, was it, when it on its rounds, it just uh, inevitably collaborated with the county nurse. So Bookmobile comes around, you get your books, you get your primary health screenings. Um, and, and what a great example of the power of partnership. Um, but guess what? That doesn't happen on, on its own. It doesn't just magically happen. Uh, that you have summer meals uh, or county nurse. It's all about communication and collaboration. And I think too often people imagine, oh, we're we're just kind of creeping into uh, someone else's mission. We're we're doing things we shouldn't do. Um, and again, that 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 to me only makes sense uh, if you imagine that librarians kind of just do things by themselves. Whereas if you imagine, if your starting point is that the vast majority of what librarians do is actually in collaboration with communities, um, the idea that there's particular subject matter that's uh, forbidden uh, ceases to make any sense uh, to me, at least. Uh, I could be I could be persuaded, but for me, it's a nonsensical argument.
0: Yeah, some of your start uh, sounds a lot like how Team Vittles got its start. We were just thinking there needed to be more more people out there connecting the dots between libraries, people, and the available resources, and we just kind of decided. Why not us? And that was exactly how we ran into you. As I recall, it was at ALSC a couple of years ago uh, mm-hmm. in Cincinnati.
3: Yeah, the ALSC, the Association for Library Services to Children, that was, uh, yeah, in, in 2018 in Cincinnati. And, and yeah, I went to a session that Shane, um, and I can't remember your co-presenter, one of the... Oh, that um, was Kate um,
0: McCartney from Marysville.
3: Yeah, yeah, and it was a really, really great presentation. Um, And just as I recall from that presentation, what I really loved about this is that you were not encouraging librarians to kind of go and figure out a way to serve meals by themselves, because what a ridiculous proposition. (laughs) You were instead encouraging librarians to to see who they could work with uh, to address this this need. Um, And I think that's always a starting point. Uh, Rather than tell librarians to do X, Y, or Z, we instead need to shift the conversation into who's around that we could, we could work with uh, to address the need in a community. Just to, just to extend, uh, extend what you said, like, uh, yeah, I mean, Summer Meals, I love Summer Meals. I think it's a great initiative. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Like, let's go deeper, let's go broader. Let's, let's really think about how this kind of, this transformation in our thinking could bring about, um, um, yeah, a different and perhaps more effective form of public librarianship.
0: Yeah, the last couple of years have seen a lot of developments in libraries, finding new ways to deliver, finding new ways to get involved as there have been more people unemployed, more people mm-hmm. unable to get out and about. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say are the most notable trends and developments you've seen in libraries in these areas over the last, what, two, 10, 50 years, however long COVID's been going on? Yeah. Um-
3: Yeah. And so I think that's a great question. And I think if COVID-19 has uh, kind of highlighted nothing else, it's highlighted how uh, public health is unavoidable. And it's also ubiquitous. It's not just uh, going to the doctor's office or um, making sure you're eating enough fruits and vegetables. It's kind of everyday decisions. It's our friends and neighbors. It's us. It's just, uh, yeah. And so I think this idea that public health is kind of everywhere around us um and it's kind of uh, not kind of just something to put <laughs> off in a, in a bucket which is i think what we we and librarians often did prior to the pandemic um is is hugely important and hopefully uh, a moment that we'll we'll kind of capitalize on uh, going forward no, but I was just saying like, yeah, I mean, public health is everywhere. And I think there's, I mean, there's there's more recognition than I've ever seen before of, of public libraries as public health partners. Um, I mean, Library Journal, they had their fall institute and they had a whole big session on on public health um, and public libraries actually featuring Ohio's Blue Cyrus public library and their director. Um, so I think it's just what what used to be a little bit more of a, a fringe topic as, as extraordinarily in the mainstream. And so I think that's that's actually a, a net positive because it's really uh, debunked the idea that that public health is something that it's just (laughs) done by public health agencies with nobody else involvement, which is completely wrong.
0: So, yeah, you're talking about uh, some of the places where we've seen uh, some improvement, where uh, people are starting to bring it all together. Where do you see as the big areas uh, for libraries to continue to increase their involvement in health and wellness?
3: Yeah, so that's a great question, Shane. And I would say the starting point is figuring out where these conversations are happening uh, in communities. Um, and so, um, uh, are there are there health coalitions? Um, are there uh, so and food? Are there food councils? So you can go to uh, and let me actually get the the right link. Uh, so you can go and find all the food councils. Um, Uh, through the Ohio Food Policy Network, and most other states have kind of food policy networks, Uh, food councils are not in every community, but they're in in more and more communities. So yeah, if you're interested in food, uh, is there a food council? If not, uh, could your library be the catalyst to start that? And so that that's really where I think we should be chatting. So I think it's the idea that librarians should just be starting things by their own. is a dead idea to me, especially when it comes to food. Um, So where where are the conversations happening and, and how can we get involved in them? So in addition to kind of the the Food Council and getting involved in conversations, the other thing that I think uh, we've learned during COVID-19 is that libraries don't actually have to be summer feeding sites to have an enormous impact on on access to food and food security. And so I'll give you an example. So I've actually had a lot of conversations with the lunch at the library team out of California. um, And with uh, California actually having some pretty strict uh, COVID-19 protocols in place most of their uh, summer feeding sites at libraries were actually unable to serve food uh, during summer 2020 and but they were still able to support so they w- they were doing a lot of advertising of other meal sites um uh, i mean some were doing curbside but um what they what they've really been thinking about is maybe shifting it from lunch at the library to lunch with the library um <laughs> to really uh, emphasize that uh, it's more about librarians being involved in in conversations and really understanding who else is involved um so that when something like a pandemic hits uh you can you can shift and pivot without being like well the library is closed um see y'all whenever this is over <laughs> So so yeah, so I think that was a really, when I was having that conversation with the folks in California, like just light bulbs were going off in my head. Yes, this is what we need to be talking about. It's not about doing a particular thing. It's about having particular types of conversations. Yeah, that's, that's a track we ended up looking at as well.
0: Some of the things we've done there is I've gone out and sat on a couple of councils in the community. I think we Let's see. One is the community coalition, which is run by the schools to talk about, you know, what's going on in the community, how we're serving our students, both inside and outside school. And then there was a a countywide organization I've sat in on. And what branched out of those is that when the pandemic hit, we had created a network already. And I was Mm -hmm. able to go out Mm -hmm. and talk to, I think, six different sites in our community because the library wasn't the perfect spot for everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. So as as they started backing off on the restrictions for food, we got churches on the edge of town involved. We got other churches to go open food sites in the mobile home communities and in other places. So just by being in the community and having those connections, we were able to reach out and talk to people who had no idea these programs existed or that they could – Be involved, and we were able to help them get their paperwork started, make the connections, and it became a very hands off program for the library at that point, unless we sent somebody out with a story, but we moved to do more of that online.
3: Yeah, and I and I love that story, Shane, and and what what uh, that what that what that really speaks to to me is is you as a librarian have created a foundation along with others in your community, but you and your your collaborators have created a foundation um, in which uh, at, there's a huge return on investment, and what it sounds like, even <laughs> you've been able to step back a little bit, and and I'm sure you have a lot on your plate, but uh, the return on investment is you've created something that has a life beyond what you've invested into it. At, um and that that to me seems like <laughs> the the goal we should we should be aiming for um and i think that's that's difficult i i think uh i mean i think yeah uh, and and again so i am an academic so i sometimes think um yeah people don't want to think about theory but i i think kind of theory can be important especially when you're when you're imagining kind of um a shift from providing library services to to kind of um Yeah, cultivating uh, coalitions and cultivating partnerships. And anyway, very interesting. That's a really powerful story, Shane. I like that a lot.
0: Thank you. We've talked a bit about food. I know you've branched out into uh, significantly wider areas. Mm -hmm. What have you seen in COVID? I mean, more people have been staying Mm -hmm. home. People are starting to get out and do more things. But what have you seen libraries doing to promote you know, health and wellness when people are just kind of stuck at home with Netflix all the time?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and so the one kind of, um, I guess, movement I've been most closely attending to has been the, the story walk uh, phenomenon. And what I find fascinating about this, and, and I see some nodding heads, and probably a lot of your listeners have heard of Story Walks, um, and, but what I find super fascinating about this is that a lot of libraries that do Story Walks uh, don't think of them as public health, um, despite the fact that it was started by a public health professional from the Vermont Department of Health, uh, working with their library in 2007. And, and I think that the fact that we don't think of that as, as a public health program really speaks to just the core lack of literacy that exists about uh, the domain of public health and what's in it among librarians. And so, yeah, but the story walk movement has been just just huge. And I think as as librarians have done story walks around the country, there's increasing national attention. Like uh, I recently had some conversations with some folks from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. They have a physical activity and nutrition division, um, so they've been really uh, watching the story walk movement and are, are starting to get interested in and in how they can support it and and better better engage with the public library sector more generally. And just just to connect back to where we started earlier, like I, I think actually uh, when you think about libraries and health, uh, I, I think in a lot of cases we don't actually have to start doing new things. Uh, it's more about uh, talking about the things we already do in a new way and talking about what the things that we already do with people um, that we perhaps have not talked to uh, previously. But yeah, the story walk thing has been just just uh, incredible, uh, just absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah. Do you have a couple of stories? I know you've been, I follow you on social media. You've got, you just seem to have a real tap on the pulse of what's going on out there. Do you have any particular stories of any locations that really stick out in your mind as unique or just a bold step outside the norm for libraries?
3: Yeah. So I, I, I prepared a couple. Um and then I'd be happy to, to kind of share some more. Um, but uh actually I, I'm I'm not actually that interested in kind of unique or kind of just um I, I'm more interested in in things that that any library could do. Um and honestly, I think every story is unique. Like I don't know of any any library that's the same as another library. So the idea of uniqueness to me, I think, is is problematic. I would say uniqueness is the new normal. Um Um, But uh, one normal story that I will share with you, um, not a unique story, but a normal story is from uh, Marion, Iowa, where uh, like a lot of uh, libraries, they were planning for a new building, their old building. was getting old and their population was growing. So they had kind of outgrown their existing facility. So um, around uh, 2015, 2016, they were just having a series of community conversations, like letting the community know, hey, we're we're thinking about building a new library. Let us know your thoughts about what you'd like to see in it. and uh, at one of these uh, conversations, um, and I should uh, back up and say Samarian so is a relatively small town, doesn't have a senior center, doesn't have a lot of the amenities that you would associate from a larger community. And so at one of these meetings, the, the Heritage Area Agency on Aging came up um, and they said, we'd really like we we need a senior center in this town marion doesn't have a senior center this is something we we really need um and and the librarians kind of listened to them and and the the a- area agency on aging what they wanted the library to do was basically set aside a portion of the library uh to have like a dedicated senior center and the library like well we can't really do that. Uh, but what we can do is we have meeting rooms and these meeting rooms are available for the community to use uh, and they're not always used. Um, and the Heritage Area A- A- Agency on Aging, they were blown away. They had no cognizance of the fact that libraries had meeting rooms that anyone from the public could use. Um, because guess what? The library wasn't telling people that. <laughs> so it was partly on the librarians for, for for kind of keeping this, this, this kind of huge amenity, um, but they they changed that so I yeah, the staff at Marion did did really, uh, as part of their outreach really start to change that and let people know about the meeting rooms. So the librarian said, well, you don't need to wait uh, for us to build a new building for you all to have senior programming at our library. That's what our meeting room exists to do. And so uh, that led to the library and the Heritage Area Agency on Aging really having a, a lot of conversations about food insecurity among older adults. Uh, there was a lot of food insecurity among among Marion's older adults. And that led to the, them working on a, a, an application uh, to the federal government that allowed them to provide congregate meetings Meals uh, Monday and Friday, and with the meals prepared by a local uh, grocery store called High V, which is an Iowa specific kind of cooperative grocery store. Um, just hugely, hugely successful. Required relatively little from the librarians. The librarians kind of helped with registration, made sure the room was available. Um, uh, and that was about it. The, then the, the AAA came in, uh, did the meals, uh, tore it down, cleaned up. And so it was really just a hosting role. Uh, and, and also with advertising. Um, but the the library found that they were also seeing a lot of people they had not seen previously. So they were signing people up for cards, uh, broadening their audience. And this is, a, it actually ended up winning a, a national award. Uh, so it's called the Encore Cafe. Um, and you can actually find some information about it uh, with COVID-19 so that Miriam kind of faced a double whammy. And that in addition to the pandemic, they also had the the show came through. And uh, if you recall that a rate in 2020 that really cut through Iowa, so their their library was actually destroyed. So it was a good thing they were thinking about building a new library because their their old library is 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 gone. Basically, the roof the roof came off in heavy flooding. Um, so they they don't they don't have a library. Um, and with COVID, they haven't been able to, to really uh, do much uh, in terms of in person. Um, so they've been doing library services off. Out of a variety of different government facilities, including a park. Um, So they, but they continue to, despite all of this, uh, continue to work with their partners to provide uh, free uh, box lunches. um, um, and they, they've continued to work with the Heritage Area Agency on Aging. Um, and one of their their spin-off initiatives is that now they're working with the Heritage Area Agency on Aging to do uh, exercise programs in a park. Uh, since they've been doing their services out of uh, a park, uh, they're like, well, we have this park available. You all have the expertise in kind of uh, healthy aging and fitness. Why don't, why don't you all come down and do some exercise classes for older adults? But what I find amazing is that all of this, everything that I'm describing uh, started from librarians having conversations and guess what that's if, if you have those conversations you can do a lot if you don't have these conversations you're going nowhere and and yeah like uh, if you take away nothing if you take away little to nothing from this um, the most important thing you can do to improve public health in your community is start talking to people it's really it seems uh, just very simple but uh, I, I I guarantee that's, that's, that's what you need to be doing and talking with people about, about your library how it may already be supporting public health, how it could do more if other folks got involved. And I think it's, yeah, it's almost like, uh, (laughs) I think one reason why it doesn't happen as much as it could is that uh, I think librarians, uh, we don't like being salespeople. We don't, that's not a role we feel comfortable in. Yeah, having your talking points uh, and kind of just getting out there, I think it's just so, so key. And and for Marion, to go back to Marion, they could have had this this kind of, the Heritage Area Agency of Aging, they could have come to this kind of facilities brainstorm They could have just listened to what they had to say and say like, well, we're not going to build you a senior center. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's the end of it. And, and I, it could have easily gone that way. It very could have easily, nothing could have happened. Um, but instead, they turned it around and said, we already have meeting rooms. These meeting rooms are for you. So having those talking points ready to go like, was so critical. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting sometimes looking at examples like these um, and kind of seeing where, where what, what factors enabled success and, and what factors hinder success. And I think in almost all cases, it comes back to communication. I think it's just so, so important.
0: Yeah, building off of that and going back to uh, Nick Tepe and Mary Jane Santos, these were some of the early things that got me thinking about a Team Vittles concept was their talks on embedded librarianship, Mm -hmm. where uh, whenever possible they have librarians going out to sit in, with different groups at their meetings, whether it's like the Lions Club or maybe Village Council, City Council, whatever. Just having the librarians out there and able to listen to what's going on in the community and know, you know, where the library might be able to have an appropriate response, where the library can leverage those uh, connections they've made over the last decades in some cases almost centuries of being in the community serving the community so i mean that's one of the things we're really good at is tying people (laughs) to resources so Mm -hmm. this is just another way of uh putting those resources out there making them available and uh finding those new solutions to old problems
3: yeah and i i completely agree shane um and as i was just hearing you talk um and I would say uh, uh, I I I know the work of Nick Tepe a little bit more in Essence County. I'm I'm less familiar with with Mary Jane Santos. Um, but what I'm really what I have been a, a big fan of Nick Tepe is that uh, it's more than listening. I think we we often get stuck on listening. Like I think there's a big focus on listen better, which is yeah, li- listening is important. Like I'm I'm never gonna discount the importance of listening. But uh, speaking <laughs> speaking is also important, and I think we sometimes are fail at speaking um, we imagine, oh, let's just listen, do a community needs assessment. Uh, we'll just listen, 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 and somehow things will magically happen. And that's not how the world works. And, and we don't have enough conversations about how do we speak up? How do we advocate uh, for needs that we see in our communities and, and imagine solutions that are not going to lead to staff burnout and librarians taking on ever more and more? And I think a lot of burnout also occurs because we're too busy listening and not busy talking, um, not, not speaking out about the realities that we're we see and the traumas that we experience um, in ways that others can hear us uh, and hear hear our story, hear our experiences. And to go back to Nick Tepe in Athens County, uh, the, the initiative that I've really closely watched is how he and his library started checking out bicycles, one of the first in Ohio and one of the first in the country. And it really came from him not merely listening, but also speaking. So Nick uh, and his staff, uh, they they convened um, a series of workshops about kind of, hey, these trails and greenways are starting to come in Athens County, not everyone has access to it. Um, oh, actually, uh, it was even before that, even before that, like he was thinking about, okay, workplace wellness, well, how can how can I support my staff being well, we have all these greenways and trails, um, maybe I could have some bicycles available for library staff to, to, I don't know, go on a break and go bicycling around. Um, and and through kind of uh, a series of conversations about that, uh things snowballed and more partners got behind and, and over that that snowballing process, him speaking up, him having this idea, sharing that idea with his community, um, uh getting people behind it. Uh all of a sudden you have a library checking out bicycles. Uh, so yeah, listen up, but speak up too. Because um, if you're not speaking up, uh, you're going to get burnt out uh, and you're also not going to leverage your library to make the community a better place.
0: Yeah, we've tried to do that a little bit. I think we've we've stretched out a little bit, I think, over the years. I think we've talked with uh, the Ohio Department of Jobs and family services. We've spoke at uh, some other community groups rather than just library groups. I and mean, especially if a library has one of those extroverted people who likes to go out there and send them out, blow your trumpet. I, this is These are great opportunities to get involved, great opportunities to increase partnerships. You were talking about story walks we were able to get one of those started we partnered up actually i think this one might have come the other way i'm not real sure but we ended up partnering with our village parks and rec and now we have a story trail at the park that we change out about once a quarter it's been fairly popular more families are going out there taking those hikes through the park now Mm -hmm. we'll see if we can go ahead
3: no, Shane, and, and I love that story. And I love kind of how you're like, I don't even know, like, did parks bring that idea to us? Did we bring it to parks? And, and honestly, like, I feel like that, if we're looking, sometimes we're looking for success, like what does success look like? Um, and what you just shared is success, uh, when, you, when partners can't even tell where the idea came from, uh, but you're just so closely tied to your community, you are so plugged in that it doesn't really matter if it was a library idea, if it was a parks idea, if it was a school's idea um if you are that kind of woven into your community um does it really matter where the idea is coming from and and probably not uh i mean yeah i mean it would, it would be nice to get kudos if if you were the one who came up with the idea but if if everyone's getting credit um does it really matter right where that where the idea is coming from so yeah i think that's yeah that's and and honestly like like uh what i've seen in my research is that for a lot of libraries uh they get to a tipping point where that occurs um i think um and, and the reality is uh, a lot of libraries need to first kind of lay the groundwork uh, by by kind of planting that seed that the library and the librarians are community partners. Um, if you're not planting that seed, no one is going to plant it for you. I mean, it's... Uh, well, I mean I think some someone could plant it for I mean I think I think agencies like the State Library of Ohio and national organizations they can help us plant the seed um, and they are but I, I think uh, often we have to we also have to be laying that groundwork in our local communities and I'll I'll just kind of uh, share a quick story of of a library that planted that seed successfully in Seabrook Texas um uh, that they are a library in a park. A lot of libraries are located in or adjacent to parks or green spaces. So so this is a library in a park, and they had a new uh, branch manager uh, come in, and she said, "We're in this amazing kind of green space, and we're not doing anything in it. We're not utilizing it. We're and so uh, just she thought like, wouldn't this be a great place to have a community garden and kind of demonstrate urban agriculture? And and she said very smartly, um, "We can't do this." by ourselves like there's no way and and i think that's that's really smart i think too often like oh community garden i don't have time for that so i guess we're not going to do a community garden um (laughs) but instead she being the smart librarian that she was uh instead when she was kind of giving her spiel about the library to various people she mentioned oh you can get hoopla and canopy and all this and oh and by the way we'd like to start a community garden uh And so she did that at the Rotary. She was just doing her spiel on the library at the Rotary and this, that, and the other, Sign up for a library card. Oh, and by the way, we're trying to start a community garden. Um, so she planted that seed and the mayor was there. The mayor of Seabrook was there. And then a couple of months later, a completely different organization uh, came to the mayor and said we'd love to start doing a community garden in Seabrook. Um, and and the mayor's like, let me tell you about this librarian I heard a couple months ago. So the mayor connected the nonprofit to the library. They're like, yes, we 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 have the same vision. Let's work together. Like, ma- let's make this happen. And so so they did. I mean, they had before COVID, they had, uh, uh, I think, either weekly or monthly meetings uh, on Thursday morning, uh, just kind of planned out their strategy, got approval from the county and city, put together kind of a a proposal uh, and and they they started with an herb garden Uh, they then expanded to vegetables and their most recent thing has actually planting fruit trees Uh, kind of a librarian had a vision that librarian recognized there's no reality in which we can do this by ourselves Um, we need help Uh, they asked for help they got help uh, and they did it and i think what a what an amazing story and and what a powerful way to think about taking on a new initiative And these things definitely
0: tend to grow. I was telling you about the story walk we did. And just from that relationship, we've also been doing story time at the park. We've been broadcasting story time. It's been weird taking all of our video equipment out to the park, broadcasting a story time. We did a freezing cold story time this morning. It was crazy how cold it was, but we had... We had about a dozen kids show up. They all had a good time. And uh, I think one of the more fun things we do are community helpers story times. So the library is at the park having local farmers, fire, rescue, nurses, uh, pharmacists read stories to the children. So, yeah, these things just blossom and grow. You never know where they're going to go. Once you take that first step, it's out in the wild.
3: Yes, I love that, Shane. And, and I love what you said about how you never know where it's going to go. So this is this is very much uh, in progress. But <laughs> one of the things that I've been trying to to work towards is is to try to try to kind of create a, a toolkit. Um, so how to like how to how to wrap your head. And And again, this is very early, uh, but but one of the things that I've been thinking about is uh, the metaphor of the garden can be a really powerful way. And so, in a garden, you plant the seeds, and I don't know, yeah, you you check on the seeds, you weed, but at the end of the day, you don't know what's going to happen. You you don't have control. No no gardener, even in the most uh, kind of best of conditions, really has control over what happens in their garden. So that that idea that not only should we be comfortable with that, we should uh, embrace that. Uh, I think is. As... <laughs> Yeah, an, an area where, where there's a lot of progress to be made.
1: I think both your approaches are reminding me of a story from one of our former Team Vittles um, teammates who had this, this vision of creating a very small food pantry in the library, and her vision was very much what you're talking about, Dr. Owenstro, where, you know, we have this idea, let's do it, we can do it ourselves, and the more she talked, she was um, at a small academic library, the more she talked with campus. The more it emerged that it seemed better to actually house the the food pantry in a, there's a corner of their chapel that has a side entrance that's very private, so it will be private for the students, private for the patrons. Um, And then it grew and grew, and the chaplain got involved, and actually their student senate got involved. And the Greek organizations, they have several um, fraternities and sororities on campus, they wanted to contribute to the food pantry and make it part of their annual projects. And so all of a sudden it blossomed and blossomed and then you had students helping students and it was, you know, I don't think it was what she envisioned, but it was so great to see that entire process. So yeah, the little garden.
3: Yeah. And, and what I love about that, Sarah, is like, uh, just the last thing you said, I don't think it's what she envisioned. Um, and the problem is like, uh, you can't if if you're gardening like uh, you don't know if you're gonna get a prize-winning pumpkin or a little runt of a of a melon, um, and that's fine. Whatever happens is, is fine. Like uh, and just <laughs> and just letting go of this idea that like it has to be what I envision. Like who who cares if it's not what you envision? If great things happen, does it really matter? You you don't get the prize-winning pumpkin every season, like and that's that's okay. But yeah, that's, I don't know. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that's really, and I think the more we share stories like that, the more it kind of like trickles and percolates into people's (laughs) consciousness and and becomes just part of the work that we deal. Something I want to
0: share just about getting out there. One of the things I've noticed going out and talking to anyone and everyone who'll listen, whether they want to or not, is that most people are going to be supportive of what you're trying to do. There are very few people who are going to tell you that's stupid, it can't work. Uh, there is so much more acceptance than rejection out there. You know, Again, I'd be foolish to tell you you're, you're not going to run into it once in a while. But uh, just don't be afraid to go out there to make your case, to speak up. I mean, sometimes you got to say the same thing. A lot of times before it sticks in people's minds, Uh, it took five years from the point where I got the first idea for what I'm doing now until it started. So sometimes things just take a while to percolate, keep out there, keep at it.
3: But I, I love what you said, Shane, about things taking time as well, and I and I think that can also be a hindrance. Um, I mean, this is not a library-specific thing. This is kind of an American-specific thing, as uh, we want instant gratification. And one of the big benefits of gardening is is that it forces us to slow down, and I think that's why gardening can not so often be a therapeutic experience, because it, it compels us to step out of that instant gratification mindset. And But I, I think there's some lessons that are really profound for librarians, and, and, uh, and I want I want to make a quick shout out. This is something I, I recently heard about uh, Meredith uh, Farkas, who does a column in American Libraries. Uh, she's been developing something called slow librarianship, which I haven't I haven't had a chance to really explore in depth. But I I really like the idea of kind of slowing down um, and and taking the time to cultivate relationships and, and partnership. You can have some uh, really really profound impacts from from doing that. And and uh, and I love uh, the example of kind of this, this academic library that started to want to want, start a food pantry and, and what I'm hearing is that like uh, as you talked with that individual you kind of were saying well let's let's slow down let's uh, let's not just start a food pantry let's let's kind of slow down and and think about this and think about who. who- who could I work with, and and what do people want out of this, and and really slowing things down, and not just not just going from initiative to initiative and program to program, but really slowing things down and and asking who else cares about this, um, uh, who could I be talking to 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 bring something great to my community,
1: Doctor Lindström. In a meeting this morning, I heard the phrase "moving at the speed of trust," and I thought that was so. Um, I don't know, apropos to this idea of slowing down and the different slow movement, slow librarianship, even the slow food movement is kind of surrounding that idea.
0: Did you guys put him up to this? I'm the one who tends to run with no breaks.
1: We're we're going to have an um, intervention as, uh, as soon as Dr. Leinster leaves for his next meeting. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I and honestly, I mean, I mean, I and I actually, I think I'm, Shane, I'm actually more. My personality type is more similar to yours. Like, I wanna, I wanna run and and yeah, like be moving a mile a minute. And so, um, and and honestly, like, uh, I I don't think there's really anything wrong with that approach, um, as long as you're you're kind of. Yeah, thinking about that in, in a networked way. And I think you are, Shane. As, I mean, as, since meeting you in 2018 and since then, I think you've been you've been able to move fast, but you've been able to really move smartly. Um, what I would say is there's value in striking when the iron's hot, uh, and that's where you that's when you need speed. And I'll, I'll give a quick example. So a lot of times and uh, this, I'm always interested in collaboration. In, in a lot of communities, uh, the hindrance to collaboration is not on the library side, it's in the partner side. Oftentimes, uh, there's a lot of fun. Dudies and some of these other institutions. One of the the case studies that I did was uh, a library working with the parks and rec department. And in this community, uh, the parks and rec uh, director had been an old fuddy duddy and, and didn't want to work with the library. Didn't want to work with anyone. And so if you if you're in an institution like that, you can't really work with someone who doesn't want to work with you. But that old fuddy duddy retired, and they brought in a new person. And the librarian's like, ooh. <laughs> and so she kind of struck while well, the iron was Hot. she became one of the very first people in the town parks and rec department uh, director met and they were off to the races they became bff almost immediately she struck one the iron thought like here's someone new like here's a new opportunity let's not wait on this let's not have a committee meeting and decide if we want to reach out to the new director let's just go and show up at his office and be like hello welcome to the town i'm so-and-so the library director um, here's some of the stuff that we're doing and here's some of the ways that i'd love to love to have a conversation with you about how we work together. so yeah, I, so <laughs> i'm a I'm a big proponent in slow, but I'm also a big proponent in fast when fast is warranted.
2: Dr. Lenster, this is Janet. I'm so delighted to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to throw you what I hope is a softball, which will allow you to do a little light self-promotion if you want to. Um, you mentioned that that one of the issues is that librarians and library people may not be w- May, may not be knowledgeable about what exactly is involved in public health and how that intersection between public libraries and public health can be so strong because they're just not aware, for instance, that a story walk is a public health service. Um, can you give us some ideas of how librarians can educate themselves on public health? Maybe some resources that are out there that are easy grabs for us to share with the library community?
3: yeah yeah i'd I'd be happy to janet so so one i would recommend um is uh, and i'm putting the link here in the chat uh is kind of the about us page for let's move in libraries um so in that kind of about us page um uh we we try to really articulate uh First, the initial vision of Michelle Obama's uh, Let's Move campaign, um, which was the vision that uh, to transform health in America, everyone needs to be involved. <laughs> and so public librarians are somebody, and therefore, they should <laughs> they should be involved. And so this kind of like everybody involved in public health vision um, uh, that uh, Obama initially promulgated and how librarians can fit into that, uh, I try to convey uh, in our About Us page. Um, um, and then another more recent one that I worked on. Uh, so I worked on this this webinar that Web Junction did October nineteenth. some um, uh, public libraries and public health partners for community health. So this is one that, um, yeah, I kind of uh, played a lot of um, behind the scenes work and organizing. And and so uh, that was a more kind of um, holistic view of public health, not just in the, the realm of food and, and physical activity, but um, the broader uh, lens. And one of the things, if you go to that webinar and you click on the learner guide, I spend a lot of time kind of working on the learner guide for the webinar. And in that learner's guide, first question we ask is just to ask uh, librarians to reflect on the, the, the all the different divisions of public health, which include food, physical activity, mental health, uh, substance misuse, uh, et cetera, et cetera, all the different Domains, environmental health, and just reflect on uh, yeah, so these are these are the different facets of public health. Are you and your library working towards any of these um and, and and our assumption is that most libraries could could kind of position themselves as already playing a role in public health and then and then use that um, as a foundation for conversations about um, how how that work could be perhaps um. Uh, improved, made more strategic. Uh, take take less burden off your staff by by collaborating. So so yeah, th- those are the two two resources that I'd I'd recommend. All right, last thing, if you could give us uh,
0: like your Twitter handle and other ways people can follow your work uh, and contact you if they need to.
3: Yeah, so my my personal Twitter handle is just uh, at Noah Lenstra, Um, and then for the the Twitter handle for uh, Let's Move in Libraries is just uh, Let's Move Library, no spaces or um, other words. Uh, And then uh, emailing me is pretty easy because it's just my last name, uh, Lenstra at uh, uncg.edu, and I'll just make a quick uh, additional plug. So I'm always on the hunt for kind of inspiring stories like the ones that I have shared with you. So uh, if you have a story to share, don't hesitate to reach out. And you can also kind of uh, tag me or let's move in libraries on social media to kind of amplify your efforts and to keep kind of building this, this groundswell around the idea that librarians are, are perfect uh, uh, health partners. All
0: right, thank you very much, Dr. Lenstra. It's a pleasure talking with you again, and uh, we'll probably have to make this kind of podcast with you a semi-regular occurrence if we can.
3: Sure, I know, I, I think, and and I'm always like, uh, I always think uh, you you all in in Ohio are just doing doing great great stuff. So it's always a pleasure to to talk with you and um, yeah, just hear hear what you all are doing. So yeah, keep me keep me in the loop. All right, well, thank you. Yeah, have a good day. Bye. Bye. Thank
0: you
2: so much, Loa. Uh-
0: thank you for joining us for today's podcast. To find out more about Team Vittles and how you can join the food fight, check us out on the web at teamvittles.org. Check out our podcast at teamvittles.podbean.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Theme music for our podcast is Peanut Butter and Jam by Illogical Bit. You can be found on soundcloudcom Illogical Bit. Music promoted by www.free stock music.com. Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 unported.